Are you ready? We're fired up. What is up, everybody? What is up, everybody? A very special from the hill today, coming at you live from Five Saints Distillery here in this historic Narstown, Pennsylvania. Historic, and it is historic because it is the first live from the hill on site. We are at Five Saints Distillery on Main Street, in Narstown. That's not why it's historic. It's historic because of the building, Nick. And the building, of yeah, course. Yeah, it's more the building than us. Of course. You know. So we got a nice crowd here. Everybody's, uh, everybody's out here clapping, and, and you got the background music going. Yeah, so thanks, everybody, for showing up today. We appreciate your support of the podcast. There'll be many more to come. Uh, we are just very appreciative that everybody's here. We're going to talk some sports today. You ready to get talking some sports? I, I, I am ready to get talking some sports, but I wanted to give our man John a quick shout-out. John is the owner and proprietor of this fine establishment here. Round of applause for John, everybody. Give, give John a round of applause. Thanks for having us here, John. We appreciate it. Hosted us today. He's behind the bar. Make sure you, you, you take care of your bartender. And, take care uh, of your bartenders. Get some, get some drinks up there. They have some amazing drinks. This is the rooftop lemonade that I have here. It's unbelievable. I got myself a it's very refreshing. Moscow Mule. Comes in the, in the mule glass. Very so good. Everybody enjoy. Have a good time. There's tomato pie over here for you. Eat up. By the way, don't forget to pick up some of their home distilled liqueurs that they have here. Of they course. Got the blood orange liqueur. They got the vodka. They got the whiskey, and they got the tequila. And the gin. And the gin. You, you missed the gin. I yeah. did miss the gin. See, that's what you're here for. All unbelievable. Keep me on my toes. So you can see behind us here, the, the distillery is right behind us. We have Angelina, Jane, and John. You can all see right here. Yep, those are the stills behind us. So you can come here, and you can take a tour. They have tours all the time. Check it out. See how the, uh, the magic happens. That's right. That's right. Cool. All right, let's get started, Nikki. So... A lot of things to talk about. First thing I want to talk about, and let me just start by saying, we're not getting political, guys. And if anybody wants to come up here and get political, it's not going to happen. I'm not going not to argue politics with no. you. But we did have kind of a big political event happen here in Philadelphia, didn't we? So the Eagles got disinvited. That's actually a word now in the dictionary, by the way, disinvited. They got disinvited to the White House by our uh, President Trump. What did you think about that, Prof? Well, I think it's interesting. I went, I went and I looked back at the history of how this all started. And um, it, it wasn't really official until Reagan brought it into uh, – Reagan made it official that every sports team that, uh, that won the championship was invited to the White House. So, so before then, it didn't really – it didn't really – it wasn't into effect. When you say made it official, like how did he make it official? He just decided he was going to invite every he team? He made it almost a tradition. He made it standard for every league that whoever won the championship, they came in, they were invited – and a couple months after they won or whatever, they were invited to come over and visit the White House and kind of get the behind-the-scenes tour. Well, when we say every league, what are we talking about here? We're talking about basketball, college basketball, college football, right. football. Right. So and it, then... It started... I think the last one invited was the NHL. So the last... It's the NHL, the first, the first team that was invited was the Pittsburgh Penguins of 1991. Shout out to J. Ron Polo out there. He loves the Penguins. Uh, <laughs> he, they, were the, they were the last ones, I believe, that were invited. So... The, it kind of dates back to 19, or 1865, and Andrew Johnson was the first one that welcomed an athletic team. They were an amateur team at the time. They, he welcomed the Brooklyn Athletics and the Washington Nationals. They were, both, they were amateur teams, but okay. they were the first teams to ever get in the White That's House. That's good knowledge right there. Exactly. Yeah, wait, I, I wait what, what sports were these? Uh, there were bo both baseball teams. Okay. So the first, pro, the first pro baseball team was 1869. It was the Cincinnati uh, Red Stockings, <laughs> and that was Ulysses, Stockings, huh? Ulysses Grant okay. invited them. 
the first World Series champ was the 1924 Washington Centers. Okay. So, and obviously, we know Calvin Coolidge was in office at that point. Uh, yes, that's, that's uh, uh, common that's knowledge, co right? common knowledge. Yes. The first NBA champions, the 1963 Boston Celtics. We were around for that yeah, one. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah. Bill Russell. Yep. I mean, kind of around. Yeah. Uh, NCAA basketball, Indiana University, Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. So who's the first Super Bowl champions you think were invited? Mm. I mean, I, if I had to take a guess, I'd probably say the Patriots for whatever reason. No. Maybe the 49ers? No. Steelers. Exactly. Yeah. 1980 Steelers. Okay. They were invited by Jimmy Carter. Gotcha. And then, uh, like I mentioned, the 1991 Pittsburgh Penguins by George H.W. Bush. They were the last of the uh, Yeah, of the, the last pro, of the majors the to make sports. it. Well, so yeah. Now, it was a tradition for a long time running for all these teams, but does anybody care anymore? I think even less about talking politically. Like, who cares? The I world is so small now with social media and the way everybody connects. Like, who cares? Is it a big deal? I think that's the biggest part of it. I think that now everybody is so aware of everyone's political beliefs or ideologies that um, to, to, to go, it's, you kind of get, um, get alienated. Like, it, it's, it's now a team decision. Right. Whereas before, before Twitter and before Facebook and before everybody knew everything about everyone, it was kind of just like, okay, you all get together, you go down. Yeah. It's not broadcast. You know, you get your picture taken with the president. The, yeah, nobody nobody sees the speech that, right. that the president makes for you. Right. You just kind of go down there, take a couple pictures, see the behind the scenes, and you know you go from there. But now everything is you see everything. You're going to see everything part of this trip, and um, I think that's what really really changed everything. So this all started a while back. There was a, there's a number of people that have opted to stay away from the the White House invite. Michael Jordan stayed away. That's Larry true. Bird stayed away. That's also true. Um, now, but their teams went. Their teams did. Their go. teams went. They just didn't go. And I don't know if that was political belief or if the, you know Michael Jordan. I think he was golfing that day. Just instead, he. he had, I don't think he just couldn't care less. He had a he had a golf golf. Uh, as golf with most day. as with most things, MJ was ahead of the curve. But he it just started getting care less. it started getting political not that long ago. So with Tim Thomas. Uh, the, the goalie from the Bruins, he stayed out of it for political beliefs. And then Matt Burke, the center for the Ravens, he stayed out of it in 2013 um, because of right. other political Right, political alignments. Right. Yeah, well, and as with, and I didn't want to diverge into politics much, but as... No, but that kick-started everything. It did. And as with, like, the way that we define people now, it's almost, who did you vote for? And then you get categorized by, like, who you voted for. And that's sort of the same thing here. I don't think it should be a political statement. If the president invites you to the White House and you're anti-Trump or anti-Republican, but your team goes and you go show up, I don't think it's proving a point by not going either. I just think it's stupid. But then again, I think the invitation itself is stupid. So I think the whole thing's stupid, and I think it was made way too big of a deal. I don't think it's stupid. I think it's a good opportunity. It's, it's a, it, an opportunity of a lifetime that these guys are missing out on just to even see the White House. You don't even have to talk to the president. You don't have to listen to the president just to see the White House. Obviously, the history there, <laughs> and get the behind-the-scenes tour. What if they went to the White House and then didn't go see the president? <laughs> I mean, it's an opportunity to do that. You, you don't could, have, right? You don't have to sit there and talk to the guy. I, I don't know. I think these guys are missing out on an opportunity. I think that I would want to go. In the long run of it, what's, what's going to get better from this? You know? Oh, it's not going to change anything. Exactly. It's not going to change so anything. You're just, you're just missing an opportunity to see history and see well, you know the something that you wouldn't otherwise have the chance to do. You know the Warriors ain't going. No, absolutely not. They're not going to be invited. No. Well, we'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit. So let, let's talk about actually something a bit more serious but a bit more quirky to happen here in town this week. Yeah. So there was a whole, I call it the Brian Colangelo Twitter saga that happened here. And this is really bizarre. I've never heard of anything like this, uh, but it doesn't surprise you, but it's the age of social media. And now everything gets blown out of proportion on social media. 
But this is just it struck me as weird. So let's kind of just explain what happened. Earlier in the week, a report came out that Brian Colangelo was linked to five anonymous Twitter accounts that were tweeting anti-Sixers sentiments and a lot of things or sensitive Sixers information about player health and that sort of thing. Uh, the names were obscure. I know we were joking about one of them, right? Eric Senior. Eric Junior. Eric, Eric Senior. <laughs> <Yeah>. Eric Senior <laughs> is on the Narstown softball <laughs> message board. Yeah, he was. Um, but yeah, what was really interesting about this is that the Ringer did this report. It came out through the Ringer, which is a, a um, I don't know, is, is that a blog? It yeah, started it, by Bill Simmons, of, yeah. formerly of ESPN. Now yeah. he does his own thing. And what they did was they came across these accounts. There was the, the gentleman that did the article. His name was Ben Dietrich. He came across these accounts. He saw and found all five of them. How he came across it, we don't know. Well, the, the fascinating There's, part is about how they found it. They were using analytics around the time that the tweets were out and who they were linked to, and then they were tracing IP addresses and noticed that they were all going from the same IP address, which was the same burner phone, so it was actually five accounts on the same phone. Five accounts on the same phone, but the, the, the great job of the reporting is when they called the Sixers and they asked about this, they made the Sixers aware of two accounts. And once they made the Sixers aware of two accounts, they monitored all five. So what they were able to do was they saw kind of the action from the Sixers on those two accounts, but they also monitored the other three, which were immediately shut down, which obviously triggered right. in their mind. Right. These things are all linked together. Right. So a good job reporting. Once they had that, that's when you say, you go ahead and print that story. Well, th this isn't, that's not even where the weirdness comes in, right? Because burner accounts happen all the time. But where the real weirdness starts is that they end up linking it to Brian Colangelo by IP address. Who admitted of the one account. Right. Because one of them was his. Now, let me first say this about about Twitter burner accounts and being the GM of a basketball By the way, team. Nick is the From the Hill resident Twitter expert. Did you get your blue check mark yet, buddy? I'm still working on that. I have a couple, <laughs> I have a couple calls in to get my <laughs> verification on Twitter. Getting your blue check mark. But um, what... I was going to say something. What, what's interesting about the GM burner account is if you're a GM of a basketball team, that's a good idea. I would have a burner account too. Monitor, you, really? monitor, you monitor people without them knowing. You want to see what's going on around your organization. So the, the first burner account that they found and presented to the Sixers, it, it, it was uh, following various people throughout the entire Sixers organization, not just the players. This is, this is an interesting take that you have on this. I didn't think you were going to go this way. No, I absolutely would. It's, a, it's, it's good practice to know what's going on within your, your organization so, you think so that you can monitor things that are coming out from your PR staff. You can monitor things that are coming out from the guys in your front office. Right, so you're like undercover boss, right? Like you put the burner account out there and you follow why? everybody that's in the organization, so why, including the players, and then you can you? just sort of undercover boss it where you're reading their tweets, you're seeing what they're doing, Absolutely. but you don't have to respond. Absolutely. But, well, so, but why wouldn't you? Here's the problem with the burner accounts, though. When you're on Twitter, right, it's almost like a, it's like a, it's like this stinging desire. Like they had to fire out tweets. Like if a true burner account that was made for that purpose, they would just be listening, right? They wouldn't be doing anything. That's what I'm saying. Right. But That's this what guy, I would be doing. he had that burning desire to retweet, like he, or he had to tweet at people and had to tweet information out. Well, apparently not this guy's wife, right? Well, Allegedly, if, I don't believe that. Accounts. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> you think she's like the I, fall for I him? don't believe that for one second because if, if, if you hear the history of Brian Colangelo, and he's gotten defensive with reporters in the past, he's very protective of his image and how he's portrayed in the media, and this this just fits the same narrative. So 
For him, for him to say that it was his wife and basically throw her under the bus, I don't believe that for a second. Well, Do you? The, well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I believe it. Here's the thing. How egotistical do you have to be to be using these burner accounts to, like, retweet? Look, I mean, you're sitting next to one of the most egotistical people you ever meet. No. <laughs> but, like, I don't have five Twitter burner accounts. I mean, not that I'm anybody, but I just I don't, I don't get it. Like, how vain and, and insecure do you have to be to be using these accounts to go after your own players like they, he was going after Embiid on that one burner account pretty hard and talking about how you really like Ben and then trying to burn the former regime and Hinky talking about Markel Fultz and all the moves they made like the literally the vanity there blows my mind well what I think it started and you've seen this on on Facebook you've seen this on Twitter it's people basically fishing for a response right mm -hmm. so people put things out there um, that that are vague or that they're very it's just a an open statement and they just want somebody to respond they want a reaction they and I think that's that's kind of what he was looking for to put something out there on the on the internet where it's open to he's tagging he's tagging reporters telling them what to ask he's he's doing a lot of things to kind of just to converse, get the conversation going. Right. Well, isn't it dangerous and to be messing around with Joel Embiid on Twitter, though? Like, he's a savage. Yeah, he's, he, <laughs> you don't want to mess with him. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's playing with fire off the bat because you're going to mess around with Embiid. He don't care on Twitter. That dude's a loose cannon. He's great. He's a young kid. But you're going to start messing around with him on Twitter, tweeting disparaging things. All it takes is him to retweet it or notice it, and then all of a sudden people are going to start looking at the account. Sure. And I think, I think Colangelo kind of had the feeling of invincibility because – just coming from his, his basketball background, he's always been protected by his dad and his dad's name. And I think that's part of the insecurity with him as well, is that he, he wanted to fish for those responses mm -hmm. to get, get, get people, get people to kind of feel like he's, he's his own guy and he's making his own moves. I, and I kind can of, see that. You know, support, he's protecting himself with those tweets, and he wants a response to kind of convince people that, hey, I'm, I'm my own guy. I'm doing the right thing here by this organization. I'm not all bad. And that's that's where I think. Like, I mean, a lot of it comes at from. the end of the day, so he, he he resigned, but essentially the Sixers were like, "Dude, you're out of here." And and once it found out that they were linked to, even if it was linked to his wife, right? It right. doesn't matter. You can't continue to be the general manager for this team. How are you going to look Embiid in the eye in the meeting? Room sure. And be like, oh, okay. So he resigns, but really they're like, "Dude, get out of here." Right. But so the question I have is is two two parts. Yeah. The first is, okay, let's let's run out the scenario. Let's say it's actually his wife, right? Let's let's believe that for ten seconds. Is there a divorce on the horizon? <laughs> like, because essentially, then if it's his wife, his wife just cost him his general manager job, an NBA general manager job. Like, literally, I'd probably give three toes to be an NBA general manager, and his wife just cost him the job from Twitter burner accounts. Yeah, I don't believe I don't believe that it, it was her to begin with. So no, no, but but you gotta play you gotta play along. The, no, I don't think so. From the statements that he's made so far, um, I think that uh, I don't think he's going to be in a GM role any longer. Maybe maybe a. Um, he will be within an organization in the front office, but not in a GM role because of the player relationship that you have to have and the trust that you have to have to, to be in that role. Yeah. But all right, so second piece then where I was going, are you upset to see him leave? Are you upset to see Colangelo no, as GM? No, not at all. Not at all. And I had I kind of had a follow-up question to that. Number one, who fills that role? Well, and we can, we can probably get into that in the second part of our NBA, NBA conversation. But the other question that I have, and there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, is did Sam Hinkie get this ball rolling? Did you see did you see my Twitter poll that I put out? No. Should the Sixers bring Sam Hinkie back as the GM? No. They no, I don't I believe think, they should. I think they should. But but my question is I really think they should. My question in is is he the is he the one that tipped off the ringer to this stuff? 
because if you know Ooh, what he's doing smoking now, gun, huh? right? If you know what he's doing now, smoking gun. He's, he's a brain. Sam Hinkie is just a big brain, and he's very, um, he's very into uh, computer, computer analysis, statistics. He teaches classes at Stanford in artificial intelligence, and it's been said that he's the guy that that you think he sniffed this out. You think he he saw the accounts? That's a theory. Put the link together. That's a theory. That's an interesting theory. It's a theory that you know. Hey, you know what? You guys, you guys, kicked me out. I got this process started. Well, this guy's filling in. He's taking all the credit for me. Let me show you a little bit more about him, because he he would have the ability to go out and there and do those searches. And yeah, I mean, he probably wrote his own algorithm. I mean, that could th put that together. Think about it. To find five separate Twitter accounts that are all tweeting the same thing. I mean, there's probably a billion of them out there. But well, to link them all back to one guy. Well, to, it's it's not though, because I'll tell you. So, and this was we were talking about social media marketing and stuff, and not to diverge, but there are companies out there that you can pay that will increase your following in social media and there's they do targeted type of attacks so it'll take like two or three months of a cycle and they'll be targeting in a certain area right they have algorithms that do this people in a certain area that follow certain topics that follow like and, and it will but be but they don't go out searching for one person to link no but accounts. it's a net and it grabs them and then as as it gets you lower and lower the, t the criteria it just things fall through the cracks until it scoops up so the people you, that so they you want so you don't have any you don't have any feeling that this was kind of an internal thing it had to be I mean, this had to be some sort of internal thing that, that dimed this guy out. You know, it's crazy. I don't think Ben Dietrich was, was a guy out there saying, let me target, let right, me target let me Brian Colangelo. Colangelo. Let, me let me pick uh, no, GM. No, I, I do think it's bizarre how that just showed up, right? Like, who would be looking into that? Who would be looking into the fact that these five accounts just randomly were tweeting sort of anti-Sixer stuff, right? Like, I do agree with that. I mean, The Ringer is a Boston-based podcast, but... Yeah. Okay. I don't know, man. I think it's bizarre. I, I think it's I, bizarre. I think he's. I think he's out of basketball as far as a GM position goes. I don't see him getting back in. I don't either. As a GM anywhere. Uh, and what's interesting is who the Sixers are going to get now that we're less than two weeks away from the draft. We're we're close to well, right for the draft. A week and a half for away, the draft, right? it's going to be Brett Brown. Which which I trust Brett Brown. Brett Brown. I, he's I, gifted I, offensively. I trust Brett Brown. I I trust his staff so far and what he's done with this team so far. I think that he has the trust of the players as well. I like the extension that they got him. We talked about that. Yeah, I, th I mean, as a coach, yeah, I agree. I I know he caught a lot of flack this year, but I, as a coach, I, I still think they're they're in the right hands for their team moving forward. This is really an important draft though, because this is sort of like the end of these hinky golden tickets that he got us, you're, right? Like, it's the end of the hinky treasure yeah, you're chest. Yeah, you're going to be at the end of the list That's what year. I'm saying. Like, this Hopefully. is this is the end of the hinky treasure chest that he gave us. And so this is a really important draft. Obviously, how Fultz turns out, what happens in free agency. But this is an important draft. Like, you need to get another star out of the last golden ticket that hinky left for you. So around that area, I know we're not, we're not going to talk about this too much, but around that area where we're going to be at 10, who who do you see down there? I've heard Bridges and Porter. Yeah, I mean, the, I think Porter's the guy I, I, that yeah, they're targeting. I do too. I think Bridges is a good fit. I think Bridges is a good fit. I think you'd like to get. Obviously, you've got a lot of size and you've got a lot of guys in the front court, so you're really going to be looking for a dynamic shooter slash scorer at the two to fill in, especially if. We don't know what we're going to get from Fultz. And to me, Fultz is a one-slash-two, so you really are looking to fill he's, he's that really, shooting two is what the, you need. He's that variable that you're just not you sure just don't know. You're kind of sure don't about know. everybody else. You know they can play. As far as Ben shot, we don't know about that. But We know they're big. We just don't know about what's going to happen there. But we're, I'm sure we're going to talk much more NBA sure. draft down we'll the road. We'll get into that in a week or two. But, yeah, uh, weird situation. I'm glad he's out. I'm glad that now we have this option to kind of – 
hit the reset button on the GM. I don't think that people had trust in Colangelo anyway to begin with. I think there was always that doubt there of who was pulling the strings. Was it his dad? And his dad, by the way, t- this is a legend. This is a legend. Written a report comes this out that he's going to tear the Sixers to pieces yeah. if yeah. if they go ahead and fire him. Yeah. So it was a negotiated. I, I, I did. See it was that. a negotiated deal where it comes out and he can just resign. Yeah. peacefully. Well, let me tell you something, and this is why. And after this, we'll move on from the Colangelo thing. But let me tell you something. From the beginning, I didn't like Colangelo coming in. You know, I feel like the NBA forced Sam Hinkie out because they didn't want this tanking thing at the front forefront for the 76ers, who are a premier NBA franchise. Because he found the formula. I gr- Dude, I totally agree, and I agree with the whole process, but the NBA told at Sixers ownership, you have got to get rid of Sam Hinkie, and you have to bring in an NBA guy, and Brian Colangelo was an NBA guy, so they wanted made sure they brought him in. I never agree with him coming in. I never agree with Hinkie getting, getting let go. So the entire thing to me is a farce, and so I'm glad to see him out of here. The fact that he did it through Twitter burner accounts just proves the guy's a moron. And that's that's it. Like, I'm done. I'm done with him. I'm done with the Colangelo family. Go ahead. Go ahead, Pops. You want to come after me? You want to come after the Sixers? Good luck, bro. E- either way you look Good at luck. it, Hinky started this trend in the, in the NBA. And it's, it's, it's actually bringing this problem to the forefront where they do have to address it. Because the tanking thing has gotten out of control. The parity in the league is there, there's a further distance. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about tanking. And this is, this is like, literally, there's a great uh, Shaquille O'Neal 30 for 30 that they did, sort of like a mini about tanking when the Magic did it. Tanking has been going on for 20 years. The thing that Hinky did was actually the first person ever to come out and say, you know what, not only am I going to tank, I'm going to tell my fans we're going to tank. I want my fans to be on board with us tanking, and we're going to make a whole thing about it. And that's what really got him in trouble. If he kept his mouth shut, like Orlando Magic GM did, like the Cavs GM did to get LeBron, it's like obvious. the Celtics GM did so they could make get the assets to trade for KG, this has been going on for years, sure. except GMs are just, ooh, they act like they're not winning. Look, like, look at this year. Mark Cuban comes out and says the Mavericks would be better off if we lose, and the NBA hits him with a $500,000 fine because they don't, that what, they don't, what they can't afford to have is this image of we're losing on purpose because you have fans paying hard-earned money to go to these games when the front office is pretty much saying, yeah, we're, we're trying to lose. We're trying to put a roster on the floor that's going to lose. So whether it's being done without being said or not, what's the difference? They, they've never come up with a solution to it. I've, I've mentioned to you a couple times about the solution that actually Cuban has come up with is to make the bottom three teams ineligible for that those top three lottery picks. And it starts at the fourth team up. So you you do have incentive to at least get to that point where you're playing competitive games and you can, and you cannot tank the entire but season. But the problem you're, is there's always a flip side of that because then if you let those bottom three teams not get a lottery pick, then they are going to flounder at the bottom forever. That's 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 their problem. Like if they're going to if they're going to tank or at least try to manipulate the draft uh, order, then at least you there's there's a buffer there where not every not the same team is going to finish in the bottom three every year if you're at least trying to get well in theory right and this is why they tried to set it up this way in, and they they're changing the ping pong balls by the way one through three are now going to have the same chance to get the first pick instead of just being the, the last ping team. pong balls in general is just well yeah but like I don't know a good solution because the worst team has That's always the best got one I've heard so the worst far. team always has to have the best chance to get the best player because that's the way these leagues are set up to work. That's like, the best one I've heard. You want parity in the leagues, but you can't you can't have it be the so bottom. So then propose three. something. Then propose I, I'm something. trying. I don't have anything yet. No, I'm not saying. Yeah, you have to, I don't have anything. Somebody has I don't think to. anybody does. Well, that's what their job is. That's why they're getting paid the money that they are in the NBA. From True. Office. You think if I came up with something, they pay me for it? Um, I don't know. Let's <laughs> get this podcast real big, and we'll find out. <laughs> 
All right, let, let's move on. That, to was a, that was a whole topic I we know. didn't even No, we I didn't think we were going to go that way. Let's move on to the NBA Finals because I'm itching to talk about the NBA Finals. Oh, man. Yeah. Great series. Great series. A much anticipated sweep. I predicted the sweep. Did you? Did so did I? Did you like me calling I said, out all I the said, pundits? I said Warriors in seven. Yeah. Did you? And I meant seven days. Seven days. Yeah. Did you like me calling out all the pundits who picked the Warriors in five? Who kept saying, "Well, you know, the Cavs will get one." I mean, yeah. Like, you know they, what? They should have had at least one. If they go on, well, we're going to talk about Game One in a minute. So I, I sort of agree with that. But if you're going to go on national TV like all these pundits do, and you're just going to shred the Cavaliers and you're going to praise the Warriors, then be a man and pick the sweep. Don't say the Cavs will get one. Don't say it'll be five. No, Just but if you really think they're going to win one, which they should have, it that's a that's a perfectly legitimate pick. Pick the sweep. Fine. I picked the sweep. You, you took the sweep. sweep. I did not pick the sweep. I pick, I I said. Warriors I really think I, I said Warriors in six. That's what I think. Sweep. I, I knew it. And what it should have been after game one, that fiasco. Let's talk about game one because game one was by far the best game in the series, right? Disagree. Okay. Game three was a good game. I thought game one was the best game in the series. It, it, from, yes. I mean, to go into overtime, yeah, it's right. more entertaining. But LeBron went off. Absolutely went off. 52 points. So I had I had three major issues at the end of the game, right? Let's talk about them. Let's talk about them individually. The first one, which actually a lot of time got spent on, was the, I need everybody can see the hand quotes, was the charge block play, right? The charge block was a huge deal. And if you didn't rush the game or remember, I'm going to tell you about it. So we got about two minutes left, or about two, two minutes, 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant drives to the basket. LeBron James slides over and tries to take a charge. Clearly, the, clearly, in, in real-time speed, clearly he's moving his feet, he's moving his hips, he's jumping into... So real-time, I thought it was a block as well, but, but the back referee goes to make a call, stops, right, and then looks at his buddy, boom, they go for the charge. Now, Cleveland thinks they got the ball with up four, two minutes and 30 left, so they're in driver's seats. The referees decide they're going to review the play. The ruling for the review was they wanted to check to see if LeBron's feet were in the restricted area, which is fine. However, as part of the NBA rules, which I don't feel like anybody knew, what you can do in that case is actually review the call itself. Is it a block or a charge? So what happens is when they, they go to do the review, they end up switching and saying that it actually was a block, which it was, and not a charge. So now Kevin Durant gets two free throws. That was the huge explosion. Yeah, and what's what's interesting about it is they brought on the brought on Steve Javi. Yes. And he got it wrong. He got it wrong too. He did get it wrong. Um, he was trying to defend the call on the floor is what he was trying to do. Yeah, he was he was defending his boys and the most important thing is that you get the call right. I think, above all things, is that the call's right and play can continue. But it's a weird thing because it's in the middle of, of action. Yeah, it is. And the thing about it is I didn't really realize – that won't do anything. I didn't really realize that – I didn't know the rule that you could replay an actual call, right? I don't think a lot of people realized that you could replay a call. But the thing is you can and the fact that it's in the rule books lets them do it. The outrage here from everybody on social media, and it's really mostly LeBron fans and Cavs fans, right, is that, well, how can you overturn a judgment call? But it's in the rules. It's in the freaking rules. So if it's in the rules, then you can overturn it. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. If, if the NBA has it in the rules, then it's a rule. And what I saw, and I had a, a term for it, I called it replay shock. People were just shocked because they didn't understand the rule when they overturned it. But, that, I mean, that's not – is it our fault that you didn't know the rules? I didn't know the rules, but 
they got the call right. So don't tell me that they shouldn't be doing a replay when they actually get the call right. I think at a stoppage of play, it's legitimate to, legitimate to have that as a rule. When there's a stoppage of play, immediately following the call. But And that's one of those instances where you can do it. Like, are you going to do that on a an out-of-bounds play where play continues, where you think, you think you're out-of-bounds, but... Nobody's really sure. Like, you can't go back in time. Right. The NBA is trying right. to do that now, right. where they do go back in time, and they'll change a the, Changing a three-pointer to a two-pointer is a little bit different because you simply just change well, yeah, the score. But right. for foul calls and things like that, I don't know if that's a slippery slope. It, it is a slippery slope. I, I do agree with that. But at the same time, I mean, listen, it, it's, it, it is what it is. I don't want to hear outrage because people don't like the replay. The fact is, is that... They got the call right. And so the replay is in there for a reason. They get the call right. And they got the call right. So th that is what it is. And, and to me, the fact that they got the call right makes for a better game. Because when I watched it real time, I think you felt the same. We were texting about it. Yeah. I said block. You said block. But the call on the floor was charged. And then when they showed the replay, it was clearly a block. The officiating in the entire series was pretty bad overall. I, I hate when people say that. No, but it was. I, I, don't, mean, I don't agree. It was, it was clearly it was clearly. Bad. I mean, just going through Twitter and seeing everybody, all the all the experts yeah, but up there. Everybody, this is the poorest officiated series that we've seen in a really long until time. Until next year. Until last you're, year's. You're right. I, it's the way it is. Dude, everybody wants to blame the refs in basketball. I don't understand why. I, don't I, I never I, understand why. Everybody I, just wants to blame the referees in basketball. It was important that they got the call right. They did. I disagree with the maybe the rules of the NBA to be able to do that, but at the same time, it was the right call. It got it got resolved. So the the, the reason that was, this, the, that was the first issue. That's that right, and this is but this is a pivotal swing because like we talked about now, it, it went from the Cavs being up four with the ball to Kevin Durant on the line for two, and he makes two, right? But there's plenty of game left here, so we get we get into issue two. George Hill gets fouled, three point five seconds left on the clock, or three point eight, somewhere in that range, right? And the Cavs are down one. Right. He's shooting two. Yep. So, here we go. Makes the first. Yep. Okay, we're in business. Misses the second. I want to stop right there. Yeah, first of all, you got to make that shot. you got to make the free throw. You're an 80% free throw shooter career. Yeah. You're 32 years old. Yeah, what are you doing? You're a veteran. You need to you need to kind of man up and make that shot. You there. need to make that shot. Am I going to kill him for that? No, because plenty of people have been in that position and missed that shot. It's a pressured situation. True. The real bonehead play comes. Well, in, yeah, right after this. In the following Hit, so, so right after this, J.R. Smith gets the rebound. And rather than turn and try and take a jump shot or kick it out to somebody to take a jump shot, he pulls the ball out past the three-point line. Meanwhile, LeBron's looking at him like, dude, what the? Like, what are you doing? Right. And now all of a sudden, they're, he throws it to somebody in the corner to throw up some heave shot, but they don't get a shot off, and they go to overtime game time. So obviously, he had no idea what the score was. He thought that they were ahead. Now, whether he, he, he was sitting on the foul line thinking – preparing for if they did get the lead. I think that's what happened yes. in J.R. Smith's mind. That's exactly what happened. preparing for when that's this shot is made, exactly what are we going to do? Happened. Well, when the shot isn't made, he panics. Right, he got the ball. has no idea where he is. He panics. Runs to midcourt. Right. So uh, this brings up an interesting question. Is this, is this, like, is this top three all-time bonehead plays? Well, I don't know system? because, see, here's the thing about it. Here's the thing about it. Let's actually think about this logically, right? Just because he got the ball... Doesn't mean that him taking like a turnaround fadeaway jump shot's a good idea there, right? The fact is, is that what we're really upset about is that he didn't give the Cavs a chance to get a, like a good look off or at least some sort of shot off. 
But at the same time, like, people are acting like if he would have knew that and turned around and take a shot, like, they would have won. That's not a guarantee. You don't know if he's going to make a shot or if somebody else is going to make was, a shot. I was interested in who they had underneath the rim. Was Tristan Thompson under there and J.R. Smith? J.R. Smith, to me, doesn't seem like the, the guy you have under the rim there. Well, they did, well, because they should have Kevin Love down there. Right. But Kevin Love was not in the game because, and this is a coaching move, they, it, you always anticipate your free throw shooter is going to make two. And so they don't want Kevin Love on the on floor. The right. They don't want Kevin Love on the floor. After they make the first one, they're going to make sure Kevin Love's not in the game because they don't. if George Hill makes the second and they're up one, they don't want Kevin Love in there defensively. So if he makes that shot, J.R. Smith obviously has a very important role on the defensive end of correct. the floor. At that that's point. correct. And that's what they were preparing for. But if you're J.R. Smith, you know how much time's on the clock. You should be going right up with the ball. Y no? You should. Right up. Well, you don't have to turn around and do a fadeaway Actually, shot. no. You go right up with the ball. Well, there was Get three seconds left. Line. Three seconds is time for a pass, two dribbles, and a shot. I mean, you could throw it to LeBron at the back or someone at the corner. You go straight or up. Or you could turn around. You go straight up. You get the opportunity. If you don't make the easy layup, he's right in front of the basket. If you don't make it, you get a foul. You go back to the line. You're J.R. Smith. You're a good free throw shooter. You're you're ahead by three points. That's that's true. That's true. Yeah. You you well. Anyway, you want to you want at least get something up. The big argument, like I was just saying, you never know if he's actually going to make it. Right. It's hard to say. But you want to make sure you at least get a shot. So, to me, I looked at this and I the the big bonehead plays that really came into effect for me that I, I put up there with with this one was Bill Buckner. <laughs> yeah. And the Chris Webber timeout. Yeah. Are there any more that you can think of off the top of your head that are like bigger bonehead plays than that? Okay, one? so the one that comes to mind to me. I know what you're gonna say. The one that comes to mind with me, I don't think you do actually. I might. The one that comes to mind with me, and I always tie it to the Buckner because I love the thirty for thirty catching hell. Did you see that one? Uh, probably. Is the Bartman Cubs fan play where he reaches over and steals the ball from Alu? Yeah, but not a not a, a major not an athlete. Play. But that's, that's still the one of the biggest bonehead plays, technically, I, right? I've ever seen. Who was completely unprepared for that situation? It was insane, dude. It was. By the way, that's a great thirty for thirty. I'm saying by an athlete, is this the biggest bonehead play? No, since, I since no. Chris Webber. I think. I mean, to me, Chris Webber is number one by far. Um, this is definitely in the top three. I, I put it up there. The thing is about the Buckner thing. Here's the thing about the Buckner thing. The Buckner wasn't a bonehead play. That was just an error, right? I mean, errors are going to happen. It was one of the worst errors you're ever going to see. It was ever. Terrible. It's probably the worst error you'll terrible. ever see in the history of errors. However, they're going to happen in a game. We, you and I both know this. Right. They're going to so, happen. So that's what. That's that's the gist of game one. And as soon as they hit overtime, there, you know, they're going to get blown out, right? Right. That's for me. That's. As soon as they hit overtime, I said, this game's over. Warriors are going to win this in overtime. Yes. Because they have the ability to flip a switch, and from a tie game, you're now down 12 points within a minute and a half. Yes. They have that ability yes. on offense, and that's what they did. They yes. turned it up. So move on to game two. Steph Curry sets records with yes. how many three-pointers. He's throwing nine, them up from half court. He's throwing them up behind made. his back. He's ridiculous. That game was never even close. They blew him out. So... That game is just basically a wash. Yeah, Golden State blew him out. So game three now. Out. Game three is what loses Steph Curry, the, MB, uh, the MVP of the yeah. series, yeah, correct? Gets so it, he yeah. goes cold yeah, the, yeah, entire, yeah. the entire game. Do you find this to be a big deal, the, the MVP of the finals? Does this, really, does this really tarnish Curry's legacy in the league? Right. Because the way that it's being put out there in the media is that 
This is really it's a it's a it's a black spot on Curry's. All right, here's career. here's my problem. If he with doesn't this. win an MVP. Here's my problem with this. Personally, I don't. Okay. However, as I always have to argue on the side of Kobe Bryant, I always get hit with, "Well, Shaq won those three Finals MVPs." So, like, since I always get hit with that, then I have to fire back that no, I don't think that it's that important at all. Like, not at all. It's not. It's not important to me at all. Matter of fact. No, it doesn't change the way I think about Steph Curry as the best shooter of all time. Right. I, 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 he's the best shooter of all time by far, right? And look, late in that game, even though he was 0 for 8 from 3, late in that game, that was a tight game, and the Cavaliers are in that game until about a minute 30 left. Steph comes down in transition, two guys, bad defense. He ends up with a wide-open look, and he drains it. And then the next possession, Katie comes down and makes one from swaggy range, <laughs> like 40 feet bangs it and all of a sudden the Cavs go from being down two to down eight with a minute left in the game the thing of it is Cavs had control that entire game yeah except for those two possessions and that's all it took to lose the game right so they flip the switch take it and obviously we moved the game four and I want to talk about game four the terrible part about it is game one really set the tone for the entire series so well the Cavs needed game one if the Cavs go ahead and they steal game one one. that changes the mindset of the entire team for the entire series there's no question about it the fact that they don't get game one with the performance that LeBron puts out, how tight that they play there. I mean, honestly, the, the fact that they couldn't win it in regulation was it. Because as soon as they went to overtime, they got destroyed. Right. And then from there, it was just an absolute joke. The rest of the series to me was a joke. So the what, only, do, you, the only so what game, do you want to go into about game four? Okay. What I want to go into about know. game four was that they rolled over and just played dead. They didn't even play. LeBron was sitting on the bench at the beginning of the fourth quarter when they're down like 15 points. And to me, that's just outrageous. Like, what are you doing? You have to be playing. Like, I don't care. You're LeBron James. It's the finals. You're just going to give up. To me, that was a joke. When I, when I looked up at the game and he was on the bench in the fourth quarter, you know what I did? Turn it off. Turn the game off. I was done with it. There's no reason to watch it from the beginning anyway. Well, that's true. I mean, I knew they were going to lose. When you saw him show up to the court, Staring at his phone, completely. Yeah, it was done. Completely unfocused. He was done. You know what? I don't. I can't blame the guy for that. He's trying to drag this team as far as he can, and he. I mean, the the game one, like I said, really set the tone for the entire team. The rest of the way. But since we're talking about LeBron, all right. Let me let me just let me just go into something I really want to talk about. I've had arguments with everybody about this. What I'm tired of hearing about, and this is going to, again, it's going to be anti-LeBron, is what I'm tired of hearing about is the fact that it was LeBron James against the four next best players in the series. It was. It it was not. It was. It was not. It's LeBron James against two of the top five best players in the world, Clay Thompson, who is a somewhere maybe top 10 to 15 player, right? And then Kevin Love. Kevin Love had a big series. It's Kevin Love next. You want big, me to tell you how big? Well, he had a big series on the, rebound, on the rebounding side of things. Hang it was, it was, Hang I was impressed by him. Hang on a second. For somebody that I've, I've looked, he's inconsistent. Kevin he Love is, is a better player than Draymond Green, flat out. Kevin Love's a better player than Draymond Green. I'm tired of hearing about Draymond Green. Let me, let me give you numbers. I got to go numbers. Numbers guy. Here we go. Here's numbers for the series. By the way, Kevin Love, this is his 10th season. This is, this is my soliloquy for Kevin Love. It's the underappreciation of Kevin Love, okay? Kevin Love. Here's a series. Well, this is 10 seasons. He's a five-time All-Star. I'll give you the games. Game one, 21 and 13. Game two, 22 and 10. Game three, 20 and 13. And then game four, which was, as we both agree, was kind of a turd anyway, 13 and nine. 
for comparison, hang on, for comparison, you want to hear what Draymond Green did? Here you go. Big old Draymond Green. His best game of the series by far was 13-11. Okay, double-double. Not bad, right? Here you go. Game two, five and eight. Game three, ten and two. And then game four, again, who cares, but nine and three. Like, nah, to but, me... But people people have been on the fact that Draymond's fallen off this year. I mean, I, I think it's Dray- no surprise there. No. Uh, Draymond... Why, why is Draymond there? Draymond is... He's, he's great on that team. He's an all-world defender, okay? I'll give That's him why that. he's there. He's, he's there to play He's defense. an all-world defender. But when you look at the player overall, the Pantheon, Le- Kevin Love's a better rebounder. He's a better scorer. He, he does everything better than Draymond Green aside from play defense. This year. This year. His entire this, career. This series. He's been inconsistent. He's been. You can't deny that he's. he's I, do, I don't agree with the fact that Kevin Love has been inconsistent. What I will tell you about Kevin Love, which is what no one ever talks about and happened to Chris Bosh too. Here's what happens. When you take a big guy who came from a, a situation where he was getting 25 and 15 and is a, a gifted offensive scorer, gifted offensive scorer, right, and he dominates the boards, he's used to getting a lot of touches in the paint. But when you go play with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, or in this case for Kevin Love, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, you can't play on the block as a big man because you're clogging up the lane for them. So you have to play outside in instead of inside out. And so what happens is you end up shooting more set threes, and you don't your production isn't as good, and people think your game fell off. It happened to Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh was a perennial all-star, a great player, but he had to take the third banana roll in Miami. And then the same thing happened to Kevin Love. I don't want to hear that Kevin Love fell off. Kevin Love is still an all-star. He's been an all-star the last two years. His numbers are great. By the way, if we're going to talk about career, Kevin Love averages 11.3 rebounds per game for his career. You know what Draymond averages? 6.9. Well, you're sitting here like I'm making an argument about Draymond well, Green. Like I am, though. Like, I'm making an argument. I get it. I am. I get it. But to say that Kevin Love hasn't been inconsistent in playoffs, in in, in these playoffs, against the, the Celtics, against the Raptors, there's games where he doesn't show up where LeBron has to carry everybody. And that's what he's done. He had a good final series. What did it get him? Not even a win. Well, no. But, but again, I don't think that— I was impressed. I told you. I was impressed by the way he played. I was impressed by— a couple of flashes that I saw from Larry Nance Jr., but other than that, you didn't really see. Well, anybody. no, the Cavs. The Cavs roster overall clearly is inferior to the Warriors. But the thing about the whole thing about them, just I, I'm tired of the narrative about they have the four best players outside of LeBron, and, and the truth is they don't. They don't. They have the three best, and I, I still think. But look, look I would agree with three. Listen, I don't, I'm not ready to put Draymond up. Right, him, but you know, well, and listen, he, listen to who we're talking to. I think the Warriors are the best team we've ever seen. That's my opinion. I think the Warriors are the best right. team I've so ever seen. So if you take Draymond off that team and you put him on another team, he's not. He's nowhere near the. He's nowhere near the person no. that he is. He fits. On this team. He fits for that team what they need. Yeah, he like, gets in people's heads. Exactly. He's there. To, he's there to annoy people. He's there to curse out the refs. He's there to grab a rebound. That's right. And, be an agitator. And hawk up a three-pointer every once in a while. That's right. The, the shots that you were throwing up were disgusting. Well, you know, I, this is a, a real a small-known fact about Draymond and Steve Kerr. You know they argue all the time about him shooting too much. <laughs> Draymond wants to take more threes, and Steve Kerr yells at him but every be, but time he takes But being a part of that team, it allows him to be able to just go out there and do that with no oh, harm. I agree. But doing that on another team, if he did that with any other team. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be the player. He wouldn't even be close to the player that he is or considered the player that he is right so the support at the end the support lebron got wasn't enough i'm not i'm not putting that i'm not saying that it was the reason that they lost series should lebron have played better maybe in a couple of those games maybe he could have but you asked the guy to do so much i i he, he carry he has to carry the team every he's the guy that has to step up he's the guy that has to 
make the big defensive play, then get back on offense, make the big offensive play. There's nobody else there that supports that. There's nobody else there that supplements what he does. He always has to be the guy to flip the switch and turn it on, and he has to. That's why he, he paces himself. That's why he has these off games because it, you, you can only sustain that for so long. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, I don't think he could have done any more. I don't think he could have done any more. That's why he's leaving Cleveland. It's bottom line. That's why he's not going to be back next year because I don't think he could have done any more than he did. He played out of his mind so game So why don't one. we jump right into that? LeBron is out of Cleveland. Yes. There's a handful of teams that are now up. They're, they're all suiting him. Right? Yes. They're all, they're all trying courting. to. They're courting. courting him. It's courting season. Courting season. It's courting season. So I have a handful of teams here that. They got gel in their hair. That they're ready to go. That LeBron can go to that I honestly, I can tell you where the best fit is. And I know we agree on this. So let's start with Cleveland. To go back to Cleveland, Cleveland has some really bad salary cap issues. They have some terrible, terrible contracts. They have J.R. Smith, who's next year going to make $15.6 million. Tristan, Tristan Thompson is going to make $18.5 million. George Hill is going to make $18 million. Million and Jordan Clarkson, who we didn't hear about once in the in the, in the finals, is going to make thirteen point four million, and it's it's really just a a poorly run organization. They 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 mortgaged the future to try and win this year with these moves they made, and they paid Thompson and Jr. from two years ago and three years ago. They they can't keep him. I, I see no chance that he stays because of the situations you just laid out. So there's no way they can improve that roster. It's enough safe to, to say him. it's safe to say that he's out of Cleveland. So let's look at the other the other teams. Okay, yes. the other teams that are being talked about are the Lakers. First of all, for any team that gets mentioned in the West, does LeBron want to go to the, the West and and chance? that he runs into the Warriors in the, the conference semifinals. I just don't see any reason for him to finals. leave the East. We talk about this all the time. I don't see any reason for him to leave the East. I don't know why he would leave the East. It, whatever team he's on in the East, right, is a golden ticket to the finals. Right. And so you get there, you get there. Beyond the glitz and glamour of Los Angeles, which I don't think LeBron's that guy that really is out looking for that, beyond all that, do you want to have to deal with LeVar Ball? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really a factor. You have to you have to consider that. No, I agree. Because it's this guy something. is gonna it's this guy's gonna be on TMZ talking about you. He's yeah. gonna be talking about the team. Yeah. He's gonna be trying to stick his nose into everything where it doesn't belong. Do you want that? You have to consider. No, you're right. I agree with you. I, I don't think the Lakers are an option. Let's let's Se- second thing is Paul George is likely going to LA. Well, so right? so here's the thing. So even with Paul George, do the Lakers have right. do they have enough to get you no. Adding, to the Warriors? Right. That's that's the, the, the ultimate final. question is is if you put LeBron and Paul George on the Lakers roster, are they good enough to beat the Warriors? And the answer is no. They have a decent young team. They do. They have Kuzma, Ingram, Ball. Isaiah's uh, an unrestricted free agent, I think, now. I mean, but they, you don't want to go back with him anyway. He, yeah, he's but I don't think that Paul George gets them over the hump with LeBron. I don't either. I don't, I don't think that, okay? No. So there's just too much unknown to make, make I, a, a good basketball decision, even I, with Paul George. There. Yeah, so, and I don't, see, I don't ultimately see the big appeal for him to go to, to the Lakers anyway. So let's say the Lakers are out. Let's move on to the Rockets, another team that has been thrown about. Um, how, how, can, how can James Harden... Chris Paul and LeBron James coexist there. Uh, so personally, I know the Rockets are popular only because of that that star power, and it's like they would add that third star, right? But to be honest with you, I don't think he's a great fit there. Um, 
I don't think that his style of play fits with D'Antoni's system. I don't think it fits with those guys. I think LeBron is a great chameleon. He could probably, you know, change his game to fit there. I just, I don't, I don't see him as a great fit in Houston. I could see him going there. Just because it would be another, it would be the banana top boat. three of his best. It'd be the banana boat. Mission, yeah, he's right? good friends with Chris Paul, and it would be, in terms of roster moves, right? In terms of talent on a roster, easily top two or three best moves for him to get to a, 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 a that type of roster, right? Ba- basketball wise, it makes no sense to me because even if there's reports that have come out that say he wants to play off the ball, it doesn't make sense that way because James Harden, when you have Chris Paul on the floor at the same time. There's, there's only so much of that ball to go around. Now, Chris Paul is able to distribute, but is he able to distribute enough to James Harden, who's a guy that is going to get his shots up and he needs to get his shots up to be effective? Is there enough time and right. possessions to even have LeBron no. within that system? No. And, and by the way— If you don't have LeBron taking the ball up in that situation, there's not enough ball for by Harden. By the way, think about this, and I, I know you said it doesn't make basketball sense, but— I want to put it in your your terms because you love pacing and you love how LeBron controls the pacing of games, right? Yes. But the Rockets control pacing of games how? By playing up-tempo all the time. All the time. All the time. That doesn't fit LeBron's play style. He doesn't play up-tempo all the time. A lot of times he crawls the ball up the floor, you know, drains a shot clock, plays off a pick-and-roll, takes shot. That's not what the Rockets do. Well, I also, not think Rockets that, do. I also think that there was limitations within uh, with, with LeBron to do that with the, the roster that he – had. But that, but that's he's played like that his entire career. That's that's how LeBron is. He controls pacing in the game. He's never been a D'Antoni system guy, in my I, opinion. I, I it got doesn't you. suit his. I game. see him playing with Chris Paul, but just to have him and Harden on the floor at the same time, I just find it to be a, a problem. Right. So that's that's the take on the Rockets. Uh, the other one, the other one. There's two others that I want to talk to before we get local. So San Antonio, if. Again, if this wasn't the West and Ka- Kawhi stays, I think that makes the most basketball sense. To play with with a coach like Popovich, play with Kawhi, who's the best two-way player in the game, who's everybody says <laughs> the best two-way player in the game. Um, I think that makes the most basketball sense if you're looking at a Western Conference team. Again, I don't think that you you take that risk if you're LeBron and you stay in the West. All right. I don't, I, San Antonio is not a sexy place to play. All right, let's talk about Spurs. Let's talk about Spurs. So here's the problem with Spurs roster right now. First off, um, there's two. There's two big ifs. There's well. There's two. There's one intangible, and then a big if. In what you said, it's if they weren't in the West, but they are. So that's not going to work, right? You got to go to the West. And the second is, does Kawhi stay? Personally, I think he's out, right? I think Kawhi is going to leave. And the second thing that is unheralded here is, to, in order to bring LeBron in, right, they'd have to clear a good portion of their roster. Some of the better players on the roster, including Rudy Gay. And you, you meant to say some of the older players on the roster. Well, and at the same time, better, right? I mean, their well, better players are older. Pal Gasol and Rudy Gay are two of their better players, and they're older. They are, but what have the Spurs been able to do for the last decade and a half? Well, by the way, that includes Danny Green because he gets paid a good amount of money, and he's one of your better younger players. So here's the problem. You have to clear two of those guys to bring LeBron in. Which I think is possible. So, But once they're clear, are you telling me that Kawhi, LeBron, Danny Green, and then the bunch are enough to beat the Warriors. Tata, LaMarcus, tall and that's all. Uh, I mean, I I don't think that roster is enough. But does that does that not change his does not that not change his role on the team if if you add LeBron? Well, but but what do you want his role to change to? He can only do one thing. That's beat. He can only beat tall. He's not a great rebounder for his size. He can shoot that elbow shot, but he's he's not a great rim protector. He can. Lamarcus Aldridge can only do one thing, and that's like shoot that mid-range jump shot. That's it. That's all he can do. 
and be LeBron, tall. But LeBron can create that for him. I, I just think he, he obviously I think I think better. it I think it it's certainly a possibility, but I don't think if I'm LeBron, I don't look at the Spurs roster as constituted, even with Kawhi, as a surefire place we can beat the Warriors. Okay, so we've gone through the West of yes. the possible teams in the West. Now let's jump to the one other team in the East that is looking to get into the mix on this thing. And I have a wild card for you. After and this, that's Boston. Yeah, so Boston, I don't see any way that Boston brings LeBron in because if they do, they guarantee themselves they can't keep Kyrie Irving. Kyrie, they, the city of Boston, I think, has hitched themselves to Kyrie Irving. Yeah, they, they did in making that move in the first place. Uh, he's become a fan favorite there. They he's, want Kyrie for the next 10 years. He's tied up until the 2021 season. Right. I think he becomes and a free they agent. want him to play there until 2029. Now, does his, does his knee injuries, does his injuries for the last however many seasons – that comes into effect. Yeah, it does. But that, I'm not. Are you concerned about his injuries? I'm not too. Concerned Absolutely. About him. I think he'll be fine. Absolutely. He's always out. He's always out when it counts, except for the one year where the Cavs went ahead the and won the championship. Yeah. Okay. He's well, been out every season. He's always he's always had injury issues. He's always had problems with the knees going back to college, and I think that if you're the Celtics, you need to make a decision. Are we really going to hitch our wagon to a guy that's been out of the playoffs? Okay. For the last few years. But I think they already made that decision. I think it's yes. I mean, I think it's undoubtedly yes. Look at look at what they have come back next year. They know they need to make changes though if they want to get over the hump in the East. Because I don't think that's true. I think I listen. I Gordon think Hayward and and Kyrie Irving are coming back. But the unknown is Kyrie's injuries. That's the unknown. And and you're talking about a guy like Hayward coming back off that horrendous yeah, well, injury. Well, like Paul, there, Paul, there's too many... There's Paul George so, did the same thing, right? He came back off the same leg there's injury. There's two different people, two different injuries. That, I agree with you, that, but... There's too much unknown there for them to stand pat and say, we're, we're just going to we're just gonna sit here and we're going to be better than the Sixers next year. Well, so, because the Sixers yeah. are growing. The They're Sixers... Had, the Sixers are the best roster in the East, even ahead of the Celtics. Do you disagree with that? I agree with you 100% because they're only going to grow from here. They have a guy in his third year, Embiid, and they have Simmons, and they're only going to get better. They've now experienced the playoffs, which the, they haven't been in the playoffs. They won a playoff series. They won the series. They took uh, – listen, it was a good series with Boston. The Boston flat-out beat them. They were outcoached. True. They flat-out beat them. True. But that experience is important. Guys like – we've talked about this every single pod. We've talked about the, how, how Boston had maintained that shooting, how they maintained that energy. In the end, it it just it petered out when they when they hit LeBron. They, right. they weren't able to get over that that right. hump there. So I I think for the Sixers to come in with a much more what I I view as talented roster. Yes. And to grow on experience now. Yes. That's and then add if you add the best player in the world. The Celtics. And that's and that's the perfect fit. And the thing is, when we talk about in terms of not just pure fits, we talk about financial fits. When you talk about adding pieces, fits. There literally is no better slot than the Sixers, and we're already we're even leaving out the Ben Simmons to LeBron James relationship. Right. So if if LeBron truly wants to play off the ball, how is this not an obvious fit for him? It's perfect. You you have basically your your clone coming up in Ben Simmons. Um, he's the least selfish player of all the young superstars in the league, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't see anybody out there like him that doesn't need the ball to shine on the floor. He's almost the same player as LeBron when he came into the league without the shot so far. So that's going to develop. It's going to get a little bit better. I'm, I'm not banking on him to start shooting three-pointers at all. No. But they share the same agent. 
right? That's a big factor. He went to like his camps. They worked like out together all last summer. So, They're so really tight. It makes LeBron the best fit here because what he does with some of the role players to even diminish their role a little bit further to make them a little better. So you look at guys like Nick Young. And on the Warriors, where he wasn't asked to be their three, their full-time like three-point guy, it's going to make guys like Robert Covington better. Which, I, dude, I totally agree. It's going to make it enhances when you bring a guy like LeBron in because you're not going to you're not going to see you're not going to see Robert Covington for 20 minutes a game. No, you're going to see gonna him, come you're in gonna see in him for, for 15 to 18, which is what you want to see. And you're going to like him a lot more. In I, that I role. totally agree. And look, here's the bottom line when it comes to just roster moves. If you're LeBron James. And you're, you're turning 34 next year. So you figure you got two, maybe three years left at this high level. And you want to go to a team that can compete now, but can also can compete for the next three years. The Sixers are it, man. They are it. I know we're in Philly. I know it's sort of a local hometown we're, we're take. A little, we're a little bit biased. But, sure, th- but like, this is the place, the only place now the, for LeBron. The, the question that I do have for you is, it's kind of a two-parter. So does the Colangelo thing put a damper on him coming here. If anything, I think it helps. You know why? Because they, David Griffin. David Griffin. So you've heard and this name, David Griffin. Right. He was the former GM of the Cleveland Correct. Cavaliers. And, and he's boys with LeBron. And, they're, and now he, LeBron James has sung Griffin's praises forever about him building teams, and now the Sixers are looking for a GM. So you don't think that in the back of the Sixers' mind, look, David, and David Griffin's a perfectly great GM to bring in. The Sixers need a GM. You don't think if they bring him in that LeBron's coming here? <laughs> I mean, it just, here's the thing. If you are in Vegas, right, and the Sixers hired David Griffin, literally the LeBron sweepstakes, like they have the team's odds out, the Sixers are going to dip below one-to-one because it's, it, when they bring David Griffin in, it's going to be like, okay, LeBron's coming. It's almost a sealed deal. It's a sealed deal. It makes the most basketball sense. It makes the most sense salary cap-wise. It makes the most sense location-wise. Um, it's the perfect fit. And when, when he comes here, you better just buy tickets to the finals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get your season tickets now I because mean, knock then, on you, get, wood for then you get the first shot at playoff tickets. Knock on wood for the health of Embiid and for the health of Simmons. But, yeah. you know, you can you can punch your ticket. Yep, I agree. So, All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk on NHL finals before we close it out. What do you think? Very, very happy to see Ovechkin finally get one. You are. You're, he, you're an OV guy, I aren't really you? I really am because you know what? He, he makes no bones about what his role is in this league and what, he's, what he sets out to do in every game. He's there to do one thing and one thing only. He's not there to pass it. He's not there to, he, he's a, to he's weave a, his way through He's people. a gifted scorer. He is there to put the puck in the back of the net. He's done it for so many years. He's been so good at it. He camps out on that left wing and just blasts slap shots, uh, one-timers. He's made he's made a living doing it. He's become one of the best players in NHL history, in my opinion. So um, let me ask you this, because you're going down where I wanted to go with this. Before we talk about the series itself, because I did want to talk about the games, because I got into the series, and I want to talk about how the Capitals were able to beat the, the Knights. But So you think this was really important for Ovechkin's legacy, right, to get absolutely, one? Absolutely, absolutely. Because you don't talk, in the NHL, you don't talk about the top players in of all time without having who guys who don't a have one to I agree with that. I agree with that. I think, but do you think he needs one more? Because typically, typically all-time greats in the NHL get multiple cups, don't they? I think that he would have been in the conversation up there with the with with the greats, but this really has solidified it. Because what the Caps have done, if you look at them, they've won the President's Cup how many times? Oh yeah, they've been the best team in the league how many times? And they finally just were able to put it all together at the right time. They had a really good situation, I think, going up against an inexperienced uh, Knights team. I say inexperienced, 
as a, as a single unit. They obviously have guys that have been there and have been in the playoff situations before, but as an entire unit playing in that situation, it's a little bit different well, than, than I going think, into it with a team that you've played for for many I years. I think the key with this series and what happens is the Knights relied on their defense and goaltending to get there, right? And I had a great stat for them. So the Knights were – let me just find it here real quick before I say it. Um, yeah, they were undefeated this postseason when they held their opponent to under three goals. And if you look at their series with the Jets, they won the games 2-1, 3-2, right? You know how many times they held the Caps under three goals in the finals, the five games? Zero. Okay. They won the first game because they scored seven. They won seven to three. But then after that, they couldn't hold the Caps down. Flory, Flory played really well throughout the postseason, but the Caps are so good offensively that they got to them. And the Knights this year haven't been an overly – overly offensive, you know, great gifted scoring team. They have not scored a lot of goals this year. They've been the best defensive team in hockey. The Caps were obviously bigger, faster, stronger, more aggressive. Yes. For sure. We, the old Flurry came out, right? So yes. we've seen Flurry go through the playoffs like spot free. We've seen him win, win cups before. But we've also seen him in the playoffs where he falters and yes. where, he, where he, he trips himself up and then he gets in his own head. That's right. And that's what happened in this series. On, on the other side Although, of the ice, though, you, but do you think he played? Do you think he played poorly? Because no, I, I didn't. Terribly, I didn't feel like he played awful in the finals. I felt like the Caps' offense was so good. It's they're they're a high powered offense. They've always been, and and when they're clicking on all cylinders, it's, I mean, it, I, it, I feel they, like they're they impossible. Can make to a stop. Lot of, they can make a lot of teams look bad. Yeah, but at the same time, for a goalie that's been in that situation that has seen himself get down and not be able to pick himself back up, that's what that I think that's what happened. As I well. agree with you too. But on the other side of the ice, Holtby, who we didn't know if he was going to be the guy to. You're right. Cement, you know, fi finalized um, his role there. He he's been he one played, of these up and coming guys for so long, and then he developed well into a veteran. In and now he was like he was that guy where you weren't sure if they were going to put um, who's their backup. Um, I forget his name. Grubauer. Whatever. It could be. I, I we didn't know going into this finals if we were going to see more of their, their backup goalie. And he, he solidified himself as, I'm going to take over this finals. I'm going to grow the sickest neck beard of all time. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> how about, dude, how about Ovechkin's beard? Oh, my God. He just has fun, man. The guy, a uh, first off, I do like him. I do. I know it's a lot of times it seems like I don't. I do like him. I just, I, it's sort of, I sort of like the parody of him, just, like never winning show. I appreciate that he. He's the best. He's the best scorer. He goes out and he says, "This is what era. I'm going to do. This is all I'm going to try to do." He makes no bones yeah. about it. He's going to go score. So. Well, do you remember? Do you remember a couple years ago when he got in trouble for like driving the cart around in the arena? <laughs> like he's just, he just likes oh, that fun. He's swimming in fountains and. Oh yeah, yesterday that was he's, great. He's having a Eating blast. Hot dogs, good drinking beer at the it game. No, I, I, I am glad. I, I do like to, uh, yeah, I do like to to see that he got his legacy cemented as a great player, uh, and it was an entertaining finals because again the Capitals are a great team to watch, right? You like to watch good offense, and in this case, the final series really was good offense beat great defense. Stanley, That's what it was. Stanley Cup hockey, especially in the finals, and it, yeah, I mean NHL watch. playoffs are even always though it great. wasn't the best series that we've seen, it was still it was entertaining. It's always fast paced. It's always entertaining. There's and obviously, with the Vegas aspect, the fact that they have the entire pregame show that's, that's been on yeah. uh, the pregame. <laughs> that's so much fun. A lot of fun. So, it was good. That's it. That's all but, I got. All right, guys. Let's wrap well, this up. We're going to wrap up the pod, the first live from the hill ever. want to thank you guys for coming out. Thanks, everybody, for thank coming out. Thank you all out. for coming out. Appreciate it. Thank you, John, for having us. Thanks, John, for we having us. Appreciate it. We're going to be here. We're going to be here hanging out all day. Hopefully the uh, sound will be a little bit better next yeah. time. Sorry for everybody in the back with the pinholes. But thanks very much, John. We'll be back.
We love Five Saints Distillery. Everybody drink up, eat up, have a good time. We appreciate everybody coming out to see it. That's it for the Prof Swags. See you.